this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast, now with the Digit Network. How's it going, guys? I hope you're having an amazing week and that your year is uh, in full swing. Um, yeah, lots of stuff happening at Wrap Your Head Around Silks. If you're interested in teacher training, let me know. I'm gonna gonna start uh, actively signing people up very soon. If you're interested in that, gonna do it fully virtual. Also. Roll it out. Check it out. We're on the mat Monday and Thursday evenings. And I would love for you you guys to join. And then a bunch of other free resources on my website. This is Natalie Nahuang. She is the owner of Skylab Aerial in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. And I love the internet. This is the one of the best things about the internet that we can like connect with each other across the world. So it's awesome. She's a new mama. And she is a new studio owner about a year. And we talk all about what she experienced when she posted herself in the air. She trained till 40 weeks. And um, she had a lot of negativity coming back at her. And we talk about that a lot. I think that this is a topic that we need to talk about generally. Because um, it's really hard for the mamas out there who are very sure in their own bodies and the rest of the world who don't really know anything about what we do, you know, just feel free to chime in. The amount of uh, unsolicited advice towards pregnant women is off the charts. So we get into that and how, how it is to own a studio on that side of the world. All right, my friends, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview. Let's get started. Okay, so you're three months postpartum right now? Yeah. Technically, just went through my fourth trimester of, of my pregnancy. Were, was this a planned, planned, uh, planned um, starting your family, or was it a su- surprise blessing? Well, I just started my studio like a year ago. And just a few months after that, I found that I was pregnant. Uh, but I was happy. Um, I expect that I expected that I might not be able to train Ariel uh, during pregnancies, but I don't know. Like so, somehow, like I was lucky to be able to train through my pregnancy up to week forty. Wow! Yeah, I know. Like every pregnancy different than every, um, you know, um, woman body would react differently to pregnancies. But uh, somehow, yeah, my body uh, was be able to do that up to week 40, still be able to climb up the sill, invert, hippie. And so you didn't have any like expectations. You just went week to week and see how it felt. Yeah. Did you, do you take anything out of your practice that you like, how did a front balance feel? Uh, of course, though wrap around the belly, though front balance, I have to put them uh, on the stop at yeah. week yeah. 20 something. Yeah. Okay. So front balance, did you stand silks? Did, were you on hoop or was it just hammock and silks? Uh, just hammock and silks. Okay. Uh, so for me, training during pregnancy were very different. Um, I did attempt, I didn't attempt new move. Okay. Uh, I didn't try to go over my limit. Okay. Um, I think that because I was with Aerosil for so long, so yeah. I know my limit. Uh, I know what to modify during certain state of my pregnancy. 
Uh, and I think the key thing was to listen to my body. Um, and training back then was more like finding joy, finding happiness, keeping me sane. Yeah. And be in my element while I was pregnant rather than like trying to building up my strength or a try new skill. No, nothing like that. Yeah. So I posted some of my video training aerial with my bum back then already show up. Uh huh. I received a lot of support from my friend, family and students. But at the same time, I also received a lot of negative comments from certain group of people. Um, Right now, uh, when I think back about that experience, I, I do think that because Ariel still was quite new in Vietnam. Yeah. So people do think like this pregnant lady trying to do something very dangerous, reckless. Yeah, so the people who don't really understand. Yeah, um, I don't really understand and yeah. give me a lot of harsh comments. And I, yeah. Back then, I felt uh, hurtful. But uh, right now, when I look back, I feel like maybe people just did not understand this form of art. So uh, they were just uh, scared. Yeah, and judgmental. All mm, of it. Judgmental. Yeah, yeah, judgmental. That's impressive the whole time, though. I mean, from what I gather from people, the ones who make it all the way through while training, is that if you don't stop, it's possible. If you, like, stop somewhere in there and climbing and then you try to pick it up, like, a couple weeks later or like a month later, it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, that, that's what I gather because I, I wasn't able to train my pregnancy, my, my only pregnancy. So, and how did the birth go? Uh, speaking of labor at week 40, uh, 40 plus, I would say, um, there was no sign of labor. Oh. So, yeah, so I went to check with my doctors and then uh, he saw that my cervix already dilate 1 cm, but there was no contraction. So he tried to sweep the membrane. Okay. And accidentally my water broke. Oh. And we wait for like four hours. There was still no contraction. Okay. And, you know, they have to introduce medicated induction labor. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. And it was so painful. Like, I don't know. This this was my first child, but uh, when they injected that kind of hormone that uh, ripened the cervix faster, uh, I think the contraction went really fast that I somehow like, couldn't take it and then I had to use Imperial. While I expected to have very natural birth, but right. I couldn't. You know? Right, that's not what happened. Did yeah. you end up with a C-section? No. Um, so when my cervix uh, dilate 5 cm, the doctor asked me to push. So normally people push only uh, when it's dilated 10 cm, right? But at 5 cm, I started to push already because my baby still was still quite high. Okay. I started to push. And then um, my cervix opened really fast. Wow. And did you have time? I did within an hour. Within an hour, did you have time for uh, epidural? Yes, yes. They, um, they did epidural as well, but somehow I, I, I still felt really painful. Okay, so it didn't really work. Like, it couldn't help much. I hear that sometimes. 
I hear that like epidurals don't always work if it's kind of at a certain point in the process um, or if you're not lucky. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't that lucky. Uh, Natalie, I'm going to try to put her down in, in the bed behind us. Yeah, you, you take her down, yeah. That transfer doesn't always work, you know? Like they yeah. fall asleep in your arms and then you try to put them down and they're like, Rah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like what happened to my baby? Just now? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so She's sleeping now, but I hope she won't wake up during the middle of our conversation. So she's almost four, three, four months, right? So yeah. what has been your, um, your first kid? So tell me your experience because everyone is so different. Yeah, then so far it has been a very challenging yet rewarding journey. I and my partner are still learning to be a good parents. We learn a bit of every day. Oh my God. I have no idea what I'm doing, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Every day is different. <laughs> does your kid sleep? Is the important part. Does, does a kid sleep? Yeah, she can, she can sleep through from 7 p.m. up to 7 a.m. in the next morning. Oh. And we have to dream fit her at around 11 p.m. Interesting. You guys got it figured out, though. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But she's playing more during the day. Is she a napper? Does she like napping? Uh, her nap during the day is quite short, around like an hour. Yeah, because, I mean, if she's sleeping throughout, like, it's 12 hours, that's great. What Before I interrupt you, what were you saying? Oh, the labor. The labor part uh, when the... I, I needed I need to do in payroll when I didn't expect. You're talking about the, oh, the epidural. You didn't, you weren't yeah, yeah, trying, yeah. you didn't want it. Yeah. But it, at the end, like I couldn't take it anymore. It was too painful for me. Uh, when they use uh, medicated induced labor. Yeah. Yeah. See, I hear that Pitocin is so much worse, but I only had that one experience. So I don't know what it's like. Like I just interviewed somebody who had a 24-hour home birth, no medication. <gasps> wow. And I don't know what that's like because when you have Pitocin and your water's broken, I hear that it's like a completely different type of pain. It might not be more or less, but it's different hmm. from what I hear. But I'm never going to know, and I guess that's okay. It's <laughs> having one. <laughs> Natalie, how old are you, you don't now? Want to know. How old are you now? Uh, I'm, I'm 36. Okay. So you're still, a, I'm still 10 years older than you, but you're still a geriatric pregnancy. That's still, after 35, they're like, oh, you're old, you know. Uh, production closed. <laughs> my, my business is closed. Closed. Um, are, are, can you imagine having another one or right now it's too fresh? Uh, no, no. Uh, I think for, for us is going to close soon <laughs> <laughs> business is going to be close too so yeah. okay so you own the studio so this is kind of the thing about studio owners and professionals like me who teach like we kind of know we're going to go back to the studio regardless of how badly or how easily it goes we know we're going to go back because it's our job yeah uh what are your thoughts and feelings and emotions about getting back to I already started getting back to teach. Okay. Two times a week. Okay. Yeah. So for me, for postpartum recovery, um, 
it was like kind of like emotional journey. So uh, because I was able to train throughout my pregnancy and I thought it were easy after giving birth, but it wasn't like that. So right after giving birth, I felt my body was so weak. Like I didn't think that I could do even simple thing like blank or even activate my core. So the first month was like trying to reconnect to my body. Um, I was doing something very simple, like, you know, pelvic floor exercise, activating my core um, on the floor. I didn't want to touch myself because I don't want to be disappointed because <laughs> I know arrows is like another level of training. And, and then when I was feel good on the floor, uh, I feel like my core is engaged. I can hold hollow. I can, you know, um, do um, leg raises on the bar. Okay. And that's that's where I felt that like maybe I I could um, be able to give aerosol a try and start it from there. However, after my very first training with aerosols, I got metastasis. Um, What's that? Just like the breast inflammations that I feel, I don't know, like just right after the arrow training, I got mastitis. Oh, the, mastitis, the, in your breasts. Yeah. So oh. uh, I was uh, down with high fever for two days. And the feeling was like holding 10 kg weight in front of your chest. You couldn't turn right, couldn't turn left. Wow. Couldn't lift yourself up. It was really bad. And, um, I needed to rush to the hospital. Oh, hospital. Did they do antibiotics? Is that how they did it? Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. Mm. Was it because you were getting blood circulation? Is that what caused, what potentially led to it or no? You just had it. I don't know. There, there was no um, explanation for it because um, I, I breastfed my um, baby very often. Yeah. But I still got it. Um the doctor said might be because the intense exercise can cause the muscle around my breast to um, tie up. Okay. And that might lead to metatis. But uh, he wasn't sure. Like, it might be the possible reason. So, I, I never had mastitis, and I hear it is so painful. But I did have engorgement. I didn't have it for very long. It's when like they just become these hard rocks at the beginning. And then many months later, because I only stopped with her at 18 months, which I never planned on doing. Like I wanted to do it for a year and I ended up with 18 months later. I'm still still on my boob. And like closer to the end of that time when she wasn't feeding as often because she was also eating like baby food and like rice and things like that one of my boobs just completely clogged up and would not, the milk would not come out. And I was like, it was just growing all day. And I was like, I'm going to have to go to the emergency room if this doesn't go in. I'm thinking I have mastitis. And then I look closer at my nipple. There's just a thin layer of dry skin on the opening, on the opening, like mm -hmm. the, the top. So basically just a thin layer of dry skin, kind of like cal cal like calloused on my nipple and closed off where she would suck it out hmm. and it like all the milk just got stuck in my boob so like I literally peeled my dry skin off and put her back on my boob and it went down 
But I was like, what? What else? What else? What else is going to happen? Yeah, I don't, like, I was like, no. It's like, I've already been breastfeeding for like 15 months at this time. Like, I'm like, I don't need any more surprises. Come on, guys. You know, I don't need any more surprises. Um, So you had mastitis. That must have been recently because you're only three months postpartum. Yeah, for my during my first month, during my first month, oh I my got it. goodness! And from second month onwards, it seemed to be okay. Like I think the breast milk already regulated somehow. Okay, so I, I feel much better now. Good. I think hematitis is even worse than labor. I think the pain oh yeah, is, yeah. Oh yeah, and you didn't have an easy labor, so that's how bad your mastitis yeah. was. Yeah. Cause there's no, there's no relief until they give you painkiller. Do they give you painkillers? Yeah, they gave me painkiller antibiotics, and they did some kind of like breast massage. They call it massage, but it's not massage. It's more like attacking like, your breast. Really squeeze, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to get the milk out. <laughs> um, did you? Do you and your husband at home have to, or do you have to squeeze? You know expel it yourself or is your baby just drinking now maybe baby just drinking now okay good if you have any advice for aerial mamas out there i like to ask everybody that we don't always get to that but but i'm glad we have today so if you have any advice for any aerial moms out there or who want to be aerial moms up to you how you ask want to answer the question i things are you know uh being aerial mom meaning that we have to uh, become a very efficient person in terms of like, taking the RV and training as well. Um, but for me, when since I had my baby, training aerosols uh, was more like the way to keep me sane and be in my element rather than, you know, achieving new high, attempting new skill. I'll go over my limit. Uh, everything become very uh, simple and easy for me with aerosols. And just try to, you know, reconnect to the cells rather than, mm, you know, uh, trying to attain a new high or anything. Mm, and I think life become more colorful uh, with the training going on with my baby on my side. So uh, I think uh, the most important thing is like to listen to to our body because uh, postpartum recovery is very um, emotional journey for most of us, and um, I think just listen to the body and know the limit, and be happy with the baby, holding the baby. <laughs> you know, here in LA, we. Us teachers, it is feeling less, oh, it's changed over time, but there's a certain pressure on us teachers to like be doing like all the things on the internet, like maybe not in the studio. Do you feel that pressure as a studio owner to be doing the, the things and having that presence on social media and yeah, posting all the time, doing doing stuff all the time. Do you do you feel that? Like, like no? because prenatal, when I posted some of the video, I received a lot of hash comment on me. Yeah, and I was very hesitant to post 
any other mm-hmm. with me doing that. Um, so it's been a very long time that I stopped posting video of myself until lately when I really got back to era training, then I started to post. Uh, so yeah, for me, I, I have no pressure on that. Okay. Mm. That's interesting. But that's also your personal journey because uh, you decided that it wasn't worth it probably for all yeah. these random people to be yeah, yes, so yeah. harsh and mean and judgmental. And then and I think at the end of the day, I, I, I have nothing to hide. Like I'm just trying to grow in another human inside yeah. me. Yeah. At yeah. the same time, trying to be happy. And when I'm happy, my baby is happy. I believe that. Um, and nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. I have a question when it comes to, I love talking to other Asian women. I have such a different experience because I was born and raised here in America. Um, Culturally, do you feel like, are you very hard on yourself? Like more Mm -hmm. than you think you should be? Or no, not at all. And that's just. I always try to think positively. Like, I believe that when I'm happy, my baby happy. So I need to be happy, feel happy it. or feel, yeah, without any pressures. Um, like, of course, like my family is the Asian family. So um, they have a lot of expectations about me being a mom. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, you know, uh, during my pregnancy, they didn't want me to train because um, they feel like I should focus on the health of my baby. But it wasn't the case, right? Um, the doctor told me the activity actually helped to maintain a very healthy pregnancy instead of just, um, you know, staying at home and stop from doing any uh, training activities. Yeah. Um, and especially at week 30, over 30, I still train Ariel. And then a lot of people could say that I might have early delivery or I might have low birth rate because my bum looks so small, because I'm still very thin. But it wasn't the case. Because um, for most people who train, uh, our muscle tone, that the one to keep our belly in. And mm-hmm. it wouldn't look that big compared to other people, but our baby's still growing healthily inside our tummy instead. I mean, so, I know so many aerialists that their their transverse abdominus is just so supportive that the baby would be held high and they just look like yeah like my friend Rachel for example she held hold the baby in and it didn't you know but with me my hips and my rib cage are so close together that I feel like mm. being lived outside of my body because there was no space there's like no space oh, inside so she just lived on <laughs> the outside yeah, yeah. but but Natalie I have to say like that must have taken so much courage and strength to navigate that because uh, I think, I think that it really helps that m- my parents kind of left our, their extended families and moved to America. And my parents have not put a lot of pressure on me since I was in my twenties. They, they kind of learned to kind of back off some stuff, but I think it's really hard when your family is being like, why are you training? You're hurting your baby. Like that must've been really challenging. Yeah, How did you navigate uh, that on a daily basis? I, I remember there were one time uh, my mom uh, was telling me that um, I'm doing the kind of very reckless and dangerous thing to my baby. 
and my baby could not be able to grow healthily in my tummy. And, you know, I just, uh, the tear just came out naturally um, because I, I, I didn't think that I'm that type of person who very reckless, but it's more like I know my limit. I've been training for so long and I'm making modification to my training. But to other people's eyes, you know, just doing simple footlock could be very dangerous looking to them. Yeah, so, but then I think I was very grateful to have my partner. He's like, he know Ariel has been part of my life and he always encouraged me to train. And even like after, right after giving birth, he told me that he could, you know, spend time taking care of my baby. And as much as possible, I try to get back to my training as he know that that's the thing that make me sane, make me happy. And when I'm happy, my baby will be happy. When it comes to our loved ones telling us, like, it does, you do feel seen when somebody you love can say to you, I, tr I trust you to know yourself. That, that is, that is what we all want to hear because n none of us want to put our baby at risk. Yes, definitely. That's, none of us want that. <laughs> most of us really want, if you're pregnant, most of us really want the pregnancy, like, you know. Um, and so for, for people who are just coming from a place of fear and anxiety, which is running rampant in the Asian culture, of all Asian cultures, Chinese yeah. people have a special skill for anxiety, let me tell you. Um, you know, I try... Now, like one of my biggest goals as a mom generally is not to pass that on to my kid. What a burden mm -hmm. to pass on to a child, you know, like, oh, yeah. don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You might hurt yourself. Like to a certain degree, you want to keep them safe, but like to like create, and I think it's happening all over the place with like kids who are now a little older, you know, in school, like the amount of anxiety, it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from a lot of places. And I think as a parent, like, I'm just like, I just don't want to add to it. I don't want to add to that anxiety. So, you know, keep the kids safe, but then, you know, to like recognize when that is coming from us, in, not from like an actual real safety thing for the kid. Mm. Um, yeah. but I think that's why I wanted to ask you that because I, I don't know any Asian parents who don't feel like, like that, that is so typical of a reaction from a mom, from a, um, a right. From a, yeah. from that generation. So yeah. I, I'm so, um, I don't even know you, but I'm so proud of you for having that very strong belief in just knowing that your happiness and the baby's happiness is linked and you know your limits and you know what's safe and what's not for your body. I think that um, all of us want to just be validated that we are, that we are the number one master and uh, number one best source of information on our own selves, you know? Mm, yeah, we know our body better our bodies. than... Yeah, also because we've been talking to our bodies. It's not just like, you know, there's people out there who are sedentary who wouldn't know if something was wrong. Like I know this second, like last night I overstretched this right shoulder. I know it. I was like, crap. Mm, yeah. 
Like, I know at the second it happened, I'm like, oh my God, come on. So like now I'm like, I got the like the salon pass on there and I got the Theragun and, you know, because I know that I went a bit too far and now I just have to be mindful and really, and really like listen to my body. So. Can I do my face now? Okay. Listen, too much oil. Listen, let me see how much you have on your hands. Okay. Put it on your butt and your legs and your back. No, put it on your face last. <laughs> this is the way this body else is going to go. Put it on your legs and your, and your back and then put it on your face. Because you're going to get pimples as a four-year-old. She just has like handfuls of coconut oil. Oh, is like, it? And she wants to smear it on her face. You, you have to wait. And, okay. okay, listen. I'm going to grab the rest so she doesn't put more. Oh, my God. This is going to be impossible. Okay. I just recorded another podcast like two hours ago, and I think I got up like six times. So that's what, oh. hopefully not six times I'll be getting up. Uh -huh. But, <laughs> wow. So, so it's so interesting because circus and acrobatics has been alive and well in Asia for a millennia, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. But it's quite new in Vietnam. Yes. Okay. So... Okay, so you opened the studio. When did you open the studio? Like a year ago. A year ago. Yeah. How's it going? Um, yeah, well, like we're still trying to build up the Arab community here. Yeah. And so far so good. It's still a niche community, but um, yeah, I think so far so good. Like I feel a sense of fulfillment in doing that. Is there a barrier for people? Are they... Is there a stigma or is it like, oh, I can't do that? Like, what, it, what's the barrier for entry for, Wait, for people to get in? Like, why, why don't they try? Why is it hard to get them to try? Uh, I think like a lot of people still feel really scared uh, to see the high ceiling. So we have eight meter high ceiling. Eight meters is how many feet? Do you know? Uh, well, I, I can't really. 20 feet, 20 feet, yeah, 25 20, feet? Yeah, around that. Okay. Yeah. So people um, still really scared to see the high ceiling. Um, yeah, even yeah. we, you know, um, our syllabus is very beginner friendly. We go from beginner to intermediate to advanced. But then seeing the high ceiling, a lot of people want to step back. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And, and then they, they could think that only people with very good fitness background can buy aerial. But the fact is, uh, most of my students are those people who never try any type of sport before. Uh, we even have students, um, you know, with a very, um, not very strong base to begin with. And they build up their strength over time. Oh, yeah. And right now, uh, yeah, and right now they already in like intermediate level. And um, they're able to do a lot of cool things on aerosols. Uh, do you also have a kids program? Yeah, we do. Like uh, our kids program actually growing really fast, but not for adult. Right, because like parents will put their kids in that really quickly, right? But then maybe not themselves. Yeah, and the kids really like it. They love it. Yeah, kids love it. Like little monkey, they can climb up the sill after um the first the second lessons. So you have the studio. It's been about a year. What else about your family, um, your experience as an aerialist? You can just start, and then I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Nope. Thanks. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so I started to train aerial in Singapore. Um, I live in Singapore for like 15 years and then I moved to Melbourne, Australia for a few years and I also trained aerial there. And I moved back to Vietnam during COVID. Mm, what brought you back? Was I, I was in Australia for um, my master's degree. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For study. And, and then when COVID hit Australia, I feel like uh, it's time to move back home. I couldn't find any place to train arrow in Vietnam. Um, so there, there was this um, rock climbing gym that I found that they had very high ceiling with a lot of safety equipment there. And uh, the owner were really nice that allowed me to train Ariel there. So I had to train Ariel before the gym opened, which is really early, uh, like 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. I trained Ariel there. And then um, slowly, I uh, there, there are a lot of people wanted to learn Ariel as well at the rock climbing gym. Yeah, and I had a, group, a small group of students back then. Um, and over time, I, um, you know, that uh, group of students um, increased in size. And then I decided to open my own aero studio with very high ceiling. So, so the studio is full-time for you? Um, I have full-time job. Oh, you do? Yeah. What is your full-time job? Uh, data analyst. Oh. What? I just wanted to. Listen, I have to do this. You can go sit with Papa, but you cannot. But you can't. You cannot interrupt me the whole time. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? So you're a data analyst. Like, how does what have to? You have forty hours a week job. Like forty hours. Um, I do have other instructor at my studio as well. But okay. We only, I think like five classes a week okay okay i actually rented out my studio for acrobatic classes as well oh i see mm -hmm. when did your practice start when did you start practicing aerial and what what motive what brought you to it i think aerial was like love at first sight oh. so i was the performance of aerial silk i think more than 10 years ago and i was amazed of how uh, a performance uh, a performer can flow in the air flawlessly yeah and i wanted to be able to fly like that someday so that's why i started to pick up aerial so back then and carrie you were one of those people who, who inspired me <gasps> in my aerial journey what? what i remember like 10 years ago i watched a youtube video i don't know oh. whether it's come from your channel or other channel that feature you in that oh and you first Amazing, like you floating flawlessly, gracefully in the air. I was like, wow. That makes me so happy. How did you find me? Just randomly? Um, I think back then Aerosol was quite new in Singapore as well. Oh, okay. And I just, you know, trying to Google Aerosol performance on YouTube and I found you. Oh my goodness. I love this. Um, and you're in Singapore at, the same, at that time. Yeah in Singapore. As a teacher, what do you find uh, the most challenging? And then what do you find, and then a studio owner too, what's the, what's the most fun? What, what, what makes it worth it to you? Uh, I think as an instructor, like, I love to share my knowledge, my experience, and I love to help people to overcome their fear. 
uh, when they're doing drafts, and, and then I think that gave me the sense of fulfillment. And uh, for me, aerosol is more like the form of art to express ourselves. And when my students um, are able to express themselves on aerosols, uh, I feel really happy to see them flying and expressing themselves, dancing in the air. Yeah. And what's the most challenging part of your job? I think the most challenging part at the instructor is like to give them the motivation to continue the journey. You know, um, aerial is not the easy type of fitness. No, no. Yeah, you need a lot of strength. And you can't um, really stop. You can take like two weeks off, but but otherwise it's it's hard. Yeah, so I, you know, um, we the hardest part is like to keep them going, not giving up on that. Just there's very steep learning curve for aerial still, right? Uh, once they already master very basic technique, they can pick up very fast. But in order to, for, for a normal person without any um, fitness background to pick it up, to learn very basic technique, like how to climb up the sill, hip key, invert, uh, it takes time. Um, so the student had to be really patient and really show interest in aerosol in order to continue that journey. Uh, I think that's the hardest part. Do you have any advice for studio owners, number one, period, like studio owners that are thinking of, people who are thinking of opening a studio, um, and then also for people who might be on your side of the world? What would your be advice? <laughs> what would your advice be to those people? Well, right now, I think my... My studio is still not like focused on hundred percent aerosols because we we only like occupy half of the time at the studio for aerosol. The other half is more for acrobatic classes. Um, I think because we are we were the first one who opened aerosol in this country. Um, and the challenge part was like how to um, educate people. Um, to to raise awareness of people about this form of art. Um, and and to educate people like it's also safe if we do it properly. Um, uh, it's not that kind of like reckless or dangerous, uh, uh form of art. Um, so uh, I think that that's the hardest part. At the same time, you know the cost uh of building an arrow studio is really high. Um, because I have to import it a lot of equipment from US and. The shipping fee itself is really costly. Is there a tax for things coming into the country? Yes, that uh, as we well. Have 10% okay. Ten tax, custom clearing tax as well. Um, yeah, a lot of fee and shipping fee from US to Vietnam. So it's very hard to get. I think it's very hard for me to get the break even point if we just focus on aerosols. But mainly other activities like acrobatic classes, stretches classes, flexibility classes. Is is fitness a big industry there? Yeah, I think the fitness is a big industry there. But generally, people could be more keen on those like yoga type, like aero yoga. Okay. Okay. Or uh, aero hammock could be more accessible for people. This is so fascinating. I didn't even think about the import importing. Can you find polyester and tricot polyester in Asia like I would assume you could so much so so much of the textile market in the world is in China 
I couldn't find any like certified one. Whether they do testing on the material or not is not. It's like there's no proof for that. So. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. That's the harder part. That's hard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, like, the figure eights and the carabiners and all that yeah. stuff. You're getting it from the U.S. Like, there are many suppliers in, in Asia, but whether they are reliable or not, I can't tell. Right. Right, yeah. I mean, there must be so many suppliers, but you're right. Like, um, rigging is so, it's like the most important thing. Yeah. In building the studio. That's so interesting. Never thought about it. Honestly, never thought about it. Because to me, like opening a studio in here in America, if I were to ever do that, I wouldn't do it in Los Angeles. I would do it elsewhere if I was going to do it. But the big, the biggest expense for us would be insurance. Mm, I see. Be- because like I probably have enough equipment in my closet to outfit an entire studio. Like I have like eight silks already and like all the hardware for it. So it would be about getting a lease. It would be about getting insurance. That would be the biz- biggest okay. expense for me. The equipment I already have. And I don't have to ship it anywhere. That, that is a huge thing. Um, the equipment cost is the highest cost. And then, of course, the fixed cost, like building the studio. Because it's very hard to find the high ceiling places in, in the center of the city. So we build it from empty land. Like, start from scratch. Oh. You start. You build it from scratch. So yeah, you had engineers in there and rigging experts to figure out your rigging. Yeah, so need to hire a structural engineer um to make sure the structure is, is safe, and build up everything from there. Man, I really hope you attract like that aerial community on that side of the world because I feel like it exists. And people just don't know where to go. Or sometimes, you know, like if people were to come to Ho Chi Minh to do like a traincation where they do a vacation, but they train, your place would be perfect. Yeah, we we actually have a lot of visitors from other parts of the world. Yeah. They travel to Vietnam and they drop by to do aero training. Yeah, yeah. No, because, you know... A lot of people, if they're on that side of the world, they're just figuring out how to like train on their own. And it's hard. It's hard not having a community. It's wonderful that you're building one. I love that you came on here. So excited for your journey as a mom. I'm so excited about your studio. It makes me want to like, I've never been to Vietnam, actually. I want to go someday. Um, Maybe I'll come to your studio at some point. But um, I've only been to Thailand and that area of the world, so... At some at some point, um, and if anybody out there in the world wants to visit Ho Chi Minh City, Natalie's there. So, yeah, Skylab so. Aerial Studio. Oh, I Sky. love it. <laughs> I love it. You're killing it. It's amazing. <laughs> and your baby didn't even wake up this whole hour. It's like the whole. It's like the stars aligned. Yeah, but she like I heard the sound. Of- <laughs> is your is I your partner? Is your partner home or is the baby just chilling? Yeah, my partner home, my partner. I think he just ran over. He just ran over. <laughs> oh my God, but we're done. But that was amazing. But thank you for being here. We figured out, actually, we didn't figure out. I told you what time I'm available. And she's like, these are the different time zones. I can't do time zones. Good job. 
Thank you so much, Carrie. I love your shows. I listen to the expectant aerialist show very often during pregnancy. Ah,、oh, thank you. I thank you for what you have done for aero community,、oh. aero mama community. To be precise. Yeah, to be precise. And we're gonna see. This is gonna be part of season four. It's gonna come out in January. And、um, I'm. I can't believe it's almost four years. But also, like, there's so many stories to be told. Still,、yeah. still. So, all right, Natalie, have an amazing day. I'm gonna have an amazing night because it's the other side of the world.、Um, yeah, have have a good、yeah. night. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you, Carrie. Bye. All right, Natalie, you're such a star for dealing with all that bullying online and comments from your family, and we are all with you. I mean. I am so not tolerant of this crap. <laughs> like, I remember when I was pregnant. I think I've told the story like a million times. Like, dude was like, "Well, you're looking a little big." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, fucking shut up!" Like, what is you know? Like, people feel so entitled, so entitled. So, my friends, if you're out there and you're feeling a little of this, we are with you. Do you? You guys know your bodies. Listen to yourselves. You know it's,、um, and I love the strength and courage that you had through it, Natalie. It's so inspiring. So I'm so excited that you had your baby and that you're enjoying that motherhood. I'm really excited for you,、uh, my friends.、Uh, wrap your head around silk. So a couple things: roll it out, teacher training,、um, and if you do need a full course, it is always there for you to、um, to grab, and then it's. Lifetime access—you have it forever. So whenever you know, it's like kind of like a book on your shelf, except it's it's digital. All right, my friends, and if you would please honor me with the five-star rating and review, I would appreciate it forever. It means so much. If you want to hear the sound of my voice some more, Greener Grass, my podcast with Kelly McVeigh. We talk about all the things motherhood, getting older, how we feel about every single little thing. It's it's a fun time. All right, my friends. I hope you have an amazing week.、Uh, Digital podcast, wrap your head around silks. This is the expected.